Hi, I'm Chris Fleming, and welcome to another edition of Health Affairs This Week. I'm joined today by Katie Keith, who is our rapid response blogger at Health Affairs Blog, covering all things health reform and the Affordable Care Act. Katie is a contributing editor at Health Affairs. She's a faculty member at Georgetown University. Welcome, Katie. Yeah, thanks for having me back again. We're happy to have you. So, Katie, we'll drill down into uh, some of the specifics uh, regarding the ACA in the uh, American Rescue Plan. But before we do, I wonder if you could set the scene a little bit by just giving our listeners some of you know the highlights of what you really need to know about what's in this bill related to health policy. Sure. So it is a sweeping piece of legislation. So I will give you my highlights, perhaps, but there really is so much in there to be excited about and pay attention to. So, you know, the American Rescue Plan includes those $1,400 checks for folks, funding for the public health response, for vaccine distribution, extended unemployment benefits, paid sick leave, funding for schools, funding for states, housing assistance, an incredible number of new anti-child poverty measures to really sort of extend the safety net in that direction and much, much more. That's before we even really get to healthcare. So really a whole lot in there that I think is going to help a whole lot of people. There was also a lot of healthcare in the bill. We'll drill down into the, the subsidies part regards to the ACA, the expansion there, but there's the Medicaid expansion as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So this legislation, you know, as regular listeners of this podcast know, we still have about 12 states that have not expanded their Medicaid program to low-income adults under the Affordable Care Act. There's some holdout states. I think folks are confident we'll get them in, but it's taking some time. And so there's some new incentives that some of those 12 states hopefully will consider to take the federal government up on this offer. There's been some debate about the best way to do this. What the American Rescue Plan does is would actually boost the federal match for your non-expansion populations in the Medicaid program. So folks that the state is already covering, you would see an increase of five percentage points in the amount of um, money that the federal government is sending to cover those folks. And then if the state expanded Medicaid, they would get the additional 90% match from the federal government for paying for expansion populations. Um, So the Kaiser Family Foundation crunched those numbers And they found that if all 12 states expanded their Medicaid program, those states collectively would receive a total of about $16 billion in federal funding over two years at a cost of only about $7 billion. So it's sort of a two-to-one deal for those 12 states that haven't yet expanded their Medicaid programs. We'll see if that's enough. I think it's a pretty uh, sweet incentive and really would bring a lot more federal funding to those states. But we'll see if the if the holdout continues, and and that'll certainly you know continues to be one of the the gaps in the Affordable Care Act. So it is kind of this interesting iteration where this was not an expected gap in 2010 when Congress passed the law. As as folks here know, this really was created by the Supreme Court in 2012, where it became optional for states. This bill historically tries to close that gap and get states to take the government up on this offer. So more to come on that, but uh, really really important provision. And it's interesting. We'll we'll see, you know, how much of that issue is is amenable to incentives and the sort of normal policy making tools, and how much is just this ideological gap, you know, where no matter what you offer, people just aren't going to do it. But let's sort of drill down a little bit on the subsidy side of the ACA and what the uh, American Rescue Plan does in terms of expanding those subsidies to more people and and greater subsidies for those who are already eligible. 
I was thinking how vividly I remember election night 2016 when Donald Trump won the presidency and the Republicans emerged still holding both houses of Congress. And I was thinking along, I'm sure, with a lot of other people that we could well be seeing the beginning of the end for the Affordable Care Act. And it was kind of a, a sobering thought. It was a landmark law, love it or hate it, and that it could be on its way to being repealed so soon after it had, it had been enacted was just an incredible thing to sort of get one's arms around. And I wonder sort of what your thoughts are, this, this contrast between where we were then and where we are now. No, I think you're absolutely right to put it in historical context. I mean, this is an incredible week. And to see sort of expansions and and Congress building upon the ACA, I'm not even sure I ever expected that to happen, ever. So the fact that it is happening and that it's sort of moving through this COVID package at a time when I think so many people are in such dire straits, it really is incredible. And I, I share that sentiment too, Chris. In 2017, with you know Republicans in both chambers of Congress and then President Trump in the White House, it really felt like not a matter of if they would repeal the ACA, but how quickly. And, and how far they would go. And so to see so much um, more federal resources, expansions to new populations all put into this bill, it's temporary, as we'll talk about, but I think it's a huge sort of momentous step for the ACA. Yeah. I mean, as, as you refer to the vehicle now that, that where the ACA is being actually expanded, and again, at least temporarily, is this uh, $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, the latest coronavirus uh, relief stimulus bill that, as we speak, is awaiting only President Biden's signature to become law. And I'd actually like to go through some of the provisions in that legislation that are related to the Affordable Care Act. And let's start with the, the ACA subsidies. The bill actually expands the number of people that are eligible for subsidies, right? That's exactly right. So it both expands the number of people, um, especially higher income folks. So, you know, if you follow the Affordable Care Act, you know that right now there's what we call a subsidy cliff. So folks who are above 400% of the federal poverty level in terms of their income, it's about 50-ish thousand dollars for one person. Uh, if you make above that and you purchase your own health insurance, you don't get any help from the federal government to do that. You don't get any subsidy. Your employer doesn't help you at all, anything like that. And so it's been a longstanding gap in the Affordable Care Act that sort of middle or higher income folks just didn't get any help. So one of those sort of biggest things, everyone's always kind of known that's a problem. You've got uninsured rates in that population that are really important to address. And so this bill, the American Rescue Plan, gets rid of that subsidy cliff altogether. It sort of says, even if your income's above 400% of poverty, you're never going to have to contribute more than eight and a half percent of your income towards health insurance premiums. Beyond that new population, it also makes the existing subsidies more generous for folks who already qualified for premium tax credits. So not only is it expanding for kind of middle or higher income folks, it's also making the ACA subsidies more generous for lower income folks as well, which I think is really, really important. Yeah, and that's actually interesting. We have a piece uh, in the March issue of Health Affairs that just came out that looked at the extent to which the Affordable Care Act had reduced financial out-of-pocket burdens for different populations. And it found that for some of the lower income folks you know, who were eligible for cost-sharing reductions, that it had actually been pretty effective at reducing burdens. So it's interesting to hear that in addition to expanding people who are eligible, that it would also increase subsidies for people who are getting them already. 
I, I do think of this as sort of the unfinished business of the ACA. I think when Congress was passing the law in 2010, you know, a lot of the decisions that they made were to try to keep the price tag of the bill down. And so I think in a perfect world, they would have done this in the original bill. They would have, you know, not had a cliff and made the, the subsidies a lot more generous than they are. This to me is sort of coming full circle and filling in the gaps that, you know, have, have frankly been there since 2010 that even Congress itself knew about at the time. And let's just very briefly, there are a couple, you mentioned the expanding the subsidies to more people, increasing them to the people who are getting them. There are a couple of other provisions that uh, are a little more targeted, but I think are important to mention. Could you talk about what those are? Sure. So there's a provision in there about the clawback, the premium tax credit clawback for 2020. This is a wonky topic, but it is near and dear to my heart. And so it and it comes really from the complicated, complicated system that we have uh, for the ACA, which is, you know, in 2020, folks who needed individual market health insurance would go in, they would say, here's what I think I'm, my income is going to be for 2020, you know, based on how many hours I'm going to work or what my job is. I'm going to put in that estimate. Well, at tax time, which is right now for 2020, folks have to go in and reconcile whatever tax credit they got in advance last year with their actual income this year. So you're estimating your income in 2020 and then reconciling it with your actual income um, based on your tax filing. That is hard in a normal year for a lot of folks to do. It was incredibly hard to estimate your income in 2020, right? For businesses being opened and closed, workers being laid off, having to pick up second jobs. Some folks had higher income. Maybe you got hazard pay. The unemployment boost for some folks counts towards your income for purposes of premium tax. There's just a million reasons why it was incredibly challenging to es correctly estimate your income for 2020. So what normally happens you know, when you do that reconciliation is if, you, if your income uh, was actually higher than you expected when you estimated it, you could owe the government back some of that money. And so what this does, it sort of eliminates that, that provision. The clawback is not going to be taken out of your tax return anymore. And it really holds consumers harmless and recognizes, I think, the challenges of estimating your income for 2020. We have some indication, and this obviously hasn't taken effect yet, but at least some of the projections of what the impact uh, might be from all this from the Congressional Budget Office. Can you touch touch on a couple of highlights of what CBO expects to happen from all this? You're going to make me do math, Chris. <laughs> So in general, sort of across the three years, well, and one thing we haven't talked about is that, you know, these are temporary provisions. So the clawback that I just talked about is really for 2020 only. The enhanced subsidies would be for 2021, so this year and 2022, and would sort of phase out. And so the CBO has said over those, over 2021, 2022, and then because there would be some spillover effects in 2023, they expect about two and a half million more uninsured people to come into the marketplaces because of that. that That's a big number. I think there are some folks who are, you know, think that's maybe not the most efficient way to do this, or it's a little bit low. You know, two and a half million people who are uninsured getting coverage, I think is a big deal. And what it doesn't sort of talk about or get at, I think is the affordability piece of that as well. So, you know, this bill is not only about covering the uninsured, it is actually about saving people money on their premiums and their out-of-pocket costs at a time when you know the economy is, is still struggling. And so there's sort of this, do, and you, you don't see that from the CBO's estimates is what I wanna really emphasize there. What I'm also hoping is that there's about 15 million uninsured folks right now who qualify for ACA subsidies that are not sort of in the marketplace. Is this you know a big boost when combined with the special enrollment period that the Biden administration has opened? 
I hope, and what the goal I think would be, would be to see a big influx of folks, even those who are currently eligible coming in and seeing what's available to them and just getting into coverage. One thing that's kind of interesting, we've mentioned a couple of times that these provisions are temporary with the longest being for a couple of years, which of course sets us up for another discussion, to put it politely, about the Affordable Care Act and health reform just in time for the midterm elections in 2022. So we'll all stay tuned for that. We And you mentioned also the, the open enrollment that's going on now. In addition to sort of these expansions, we have some indications from some of the, the numbers of people that we've heard that are signing up, some of the market developments, what insurers are saying about participation, some indications of how things are going even, even before these expansions for the ACA. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about that and sort of what we're seeing. The Biden administration has released uh, sort of early data from the first two weeks in February. This big special enrollment period kicked off on February 15th. And so we sort of have an indication of what the, those first two weeks look like. I was personally quite impressed with the number. So even right away, you had about 206,000 people go in and select a plan and enroll. You had another 330,000 people who had filled out their application, but maybe they were waiting on an eligibility ter- determination or hadn't picked a plan yet. But most folks who are likely to come in, and that was just in the first two weeks. It's not quite as much as you would see during the sort of annual open enrollment period, but for a special enrollment period that was kicked off pretty quickly in a new administration, I think it's very, very promising and sort of shows the demand that's out there that once people know about these coverage options, of course they want you know affordable, comprehensive coverage in the middle of a pandemic. And so I think when you layer these subsidies on top of it, it's going to be so much more attractive for so many people. I, th- I think the challenge is going to be, you know, the education, the outreach, making sure that folks understand these options and getting it in front of folks. But I think the Biden administration is also you know, committed certainly a lot more than the Trump administration had to making sure that message comes across. There's a lot to watch and, and we'll, we'll stay tuned. And, but for now, I think that'll do it for this episode of Health Affairs This Week. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. No, as as always, thanks for having me. And Chris, I'm always happy to be here. And to our listeners, you know, keep an eye out wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe uh, if you like what you hear and want to hear more. And thanks. And we'll see you next week. 